Hi everyone and welcome back to another episode of Ode to the Code, my weekly podcast where I attempt to track and analyze the development of the law as it unfolds across various courts in our country. Now usually I focus on technical issues such as those in civil procedure, but I am consciously trying to shift my focus to more evocative topics such as those seen in constitutional law. Now in this episode I will be taking you back again to the Calcutta High Court. In what is turning out to be a great period for free speech at this high court, a single judge has just granted interim relief a few hours ago to a doctor against whom an FIR had been filed for allegedly pointing out deficiencies in the protective protective gear handed out to government doctors who are treating covid patients in West Bengal. Now you will recall that in just the previous episode I had discussed another judgment of the Calcutta High Court delivered in the matter of Kamil Shetyuniski versus Union of India. Now that too concerned the right to free speech. So if you didn't tune in for the last episode, I will give you a brief recap of what the court held in that case. But if you've already heard that, then feel free to skip ahead to the next segment of this episode. So in the Shetyuniski case, the government had revoked the visa of a Polish student studying in Calcutta who had participated in an anti-CAA rally. And so the government had issued an order of expulsion against him. But the court uh, set aside that order for being unreasonable under administrative law, but more importantly, for violating fundamental rights under the constitution. And the court did this by reading in a basic right to free speech inside the petitioner's right to life under Article 21. And the reason that this was necessary for the court to do was because the usual fundamental right to free speech is located in Article 19, which is only accessible to, to citizens of India and not to foreigners. In addition to this, the court provided a very interesting interpretation of Article 21 when it bolstered the petitioner's right to life by looking at his specific circumstances and qualifications. So having determined that the petitioner was educationally qualified in the literature, history, culture and politics of India, it said that particularly for this student, the right to life and personal liberty would include the right to participate in a political rally. So now the question that arises is something that listeners of my previous episode have pointed out to me. So the question is, does this now mean that for everyone else, apart from Kamil Shetyoniski, the right to life does not include the right to participate in political activities? Now, my brief answer to that question would be in the negative, because to take the court's holding to that extreme conclusion would be, in my opinion, a very perverse interpretation. Because briefly, that is not the ratio of the judgment. Since the negative version of a holding does not flow from the holding by, way, by, by default, unless there are indications to the contrary in the text or the ethos of the judgment. But before I lose sight of what I want to talk about in this episode, I will temporarily end the discussion on the Shetyuniski case. Of course, if you want to talk more about this case, then please do get in touch, because I would love to discuss it in greater detail. So let me now take you on a journey to the Court of Justice I.P. Mukherjee. In a very brief and to-the-point order spanning just three pages, 
Justice Mukherjee granted certain interim reliefs to Dr. Indronil Khan. Now, the reason that this order is noteworthy is because Justice Mukherjee upheld Dr. Khan's right to freedom of speech and expression under Article 191A. There is also the fact that the hearing in this matter was conducted through video conferencing because courts are shut. So, you know what? It's great to see that the courts are treating cases which concern the suppression of free speech as urgent matters. And I hope that courts across the country follow this precedent. However, the order given by Justice Mukherjee is flawed in some ways. But before I get to those flaws, let me briefly narrate the story in this case and what the court held. So Dr. Khan had made some posts on Facebook and Twitter pointing out the alleged deficiencies in the protective gear which is supplied by the government to doctors who are handling COVID-19 cases. So the police, police ended up lodging an FIR against him on 29th March, just a few days ago, and they charged him for causing disharmony and feeling of hatred which disturbs public tranquility. So principally, this charge was under Section 153A of the Indian Penal Code, the IPC. And on the same day, the police brought him to the station, interrogated him for a prolonged period, and then they took away his mobile phone and his SIM card. And they also threatened him with potential arrest. Now, in his order, Justice Mukherjee keeps it very simple, and he jumps straight into Article 19. And he notes that the freedom of speech and expression has to be scrupulously upheld by the state. And in this regard, he states, and I quote, If an expression of opinion brings the government into disrepute, it cannot defend this allegation by intimidating the person expressing the opinion and by subjecting him to prolonged interrogation, threatening arrest, seizing his mobile phone and SIM card, and so on. End quote. So the court basically has held that even if the government is brought into disrepute as a result of criticism, the government cannot respond to this criticism by subjecting the critic to intimidation, interrogation, confiscation of communication devices, and the threat of arrest. In other words, criticizing the government, even to the point of bringing it into disrepute, is protected speech under Article 191A and is therefore not covered by the restrictions to free speech under Article 19, Clause 2. But in the very next sentence, the court has tempered this right by providing examples of free speech which may be validly curbed. So the state may curb free speech, and I quote, if a citizen tries to utilize this freedom by trying to circulate alleged facts maliciously with a view to causing damage to another person, or to the public at large, or the nation. This could be done by the unnecessary spread of fear and panic among the public. End quote. Now to analyse this restriction that the court has brought in, let us first look at the text of Article 19.2 itself, which gives a long list of grounds allowing the state to restrict free speech. So this provision gives the state the ability to make laws imposing reasonable restrictions on the right to free speech in the interests of, and I quote, the sovereignty and integrity of India, security of the state, friendly relations with foreign states, public order, 
decency or morality and in relation to contempt of court, defamation or incitement to an offence. Now, restrictions of the nature that are being discussed in this case usually come under the nebulous and sometimes dangerous rubric of public order. So it must be noted that Section 54 of the Disaster Management Act in fact criminalizes and punishes the making or circulation of a false alarm or warning as to a disaster or its severity or magnitude leading to panic. So since the lockdown has been imposed under this very legislation, arrests that are made under this provision, that is section 54 of this act, may be interpreted to be a reasonable restriction on the grounds of public order under Article 19.2. But while I am on the subject of Article 19.2, I would like to remind everyone very briefly that this provision actually said something very different back when the constitution came into force in 1950. It acquired its present shape only through the First Amendment, which was made in 1951. So under the original version of Article 19.2, free speech could only be curbed if it undermined the security of the state or tended to overthrow the state. Now, of course, these, were, these represent a very high standard of protection of free speech. But the Nehru administration felt that these grounds did not provide enough leeway to the state to legitimately curb free speech. And so they added broader grounds under the First Amendment. So you can read about all of the interesting history that surrounds the First Amendment in a recently published book called 16 Stormy Days, written by Tripur Daman Singh. So, you know, the difference between the original version of Article 19.2 and the amended version is, of course, plain as day. I mean, you can look at it and it's clear that the standard of protection of free speech has reduced drastically due to the amendment. And this difference was actually pointed out by the Supreme Court in its decision in Ramji Lal Modi versus State of UP in 1957, where the court had noted that the new restrictions were substantially broader than the older ones. And so it allowed the government wider leeway in restricting free speech. And if you want to read about the interpretation of the original version, then you can look at decisions like Ramesh Thapar versus State of Madras or Bridge Bhushan versus State of Delhi. And in fact, as an interesting aside, it is these very judgments of the Supreme Court that prompted the Congress administration to bring about the First Amendment to the Constitution. So after that brief journey back in time to 1951, let us return to Justice Mukherjee's courtroom in the Calcutta High Court and critique his order a little bit. So after protecting the petitioner's right to free speech, admonishing the state for having intimidated him and noting that no offence has in fact been made out by the police, the court then goes on to, for some reason, restrain the petitioner from posting anything, any more content on social media relating to this issue, so COVID-19. But the problem is this does not follow as a logical conclusion from the reasoning given just a few sentences above in the order. Because the court has held that the posts that he has already made on Facebook and Twitter fall under the category of protected speech under Article 19. Then there seems to be no reason to restrain him from making further posts on the same subject. Furthermore, since this was an Article 226 writ petition, 
and not an application under Section 482 of the Criminal Procedure Code, the court did not actually go ahead and quash the FIR. In fact, it permitted the state to start a criminal case against the petitioner if if the state found that the elements of an offence were indeed made out. But very notably, the court explicitly clarified that the petitioner could not be arrested and that his liberty could not be curtailed in any way without the leave of a proper court in properly instituted proceedings. So this order has to be seen in light of what is happening right now before the Supreme Court. So it has been reported by various media outlets that the centre has sought a direction from the Supreme Court that no media outlet should print, publish or telecast anything on COVID-19 without first ascertaining facts from the government. Now, the centre has, of course, couched this plea in the argument that it wants to stop the dissemination of fake news. Now, leaving aside the various problems that such a plea encounters under Article 19.1a, there are three very clear practical problems with this that I'd like to point out. First, any constructive criticism against government policies is basically halted, which denies the government in this crisis situation the chance to rectify genuine errors in its policies. Second, you're basically preventing the media, which is more often than not better placed to report on the ground reality, from contributing and complementing the state's efforts to tackle this crisis. And third, if it is really all about preventing panic, then the government's paradigm in fact does a worse job because it cannot be doubted that people panic more when there is no news at all. Now, we have to wait and see how the Apex Court holds and whether they do indeed issue such directions and bans to media houses. Now, Justice I.P. Mukherjee's order does not in any way bind the Supreme Court. And being a two-day-old, three-page order, it has very little persuasive value, practically speaking. But I hope that the Apex Court keeps the spirit of Article 19.1a at the very heart of its order, whichever way it may go. So that's all that I have for you today. It has been a brief episode, and thank you so much for tuning in and listening till the very end. Stay safe, and follow Ode to the Code on Spotify for more episodes.